Glad you're here this morning and for all the folks who are gathered online as well. So privileged to be able to hear from the Lord from his word this morning. So part of our Thursday night service that we're not doing in the live service this morning is we commissioned our couple to the Middle East. We can't do it for security reasons on our live stream, but we had the privilege of sending out a couple who are going to go to the Middle East for the sake of being salt and light and ambassadors for Christ. I tell you that because when we commission somebody like that, they have absolute clarity that they are going to live there for the sake of the kingdom of God. But it's no less for you and I. Wherever we live, if we are followers of Jesus, we ought to have that same clarity that where we live and where we work, we are there to be salt and light, to be ambassadors for Christ in the kingdom of God. Yes, you with me? All right, we want to have that clarity. And so uh, just a small reminder, again, that one of the greatest ways we get to be salt and light in the uniqueness of our culture is the privilege to be a part of choosing our governing officials. So I hope you know that this Tuesday is primaries, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you won't be silent. You'll be exercising your opportunity and your privilege to vote. If you're a voting age, here's how we want to help you. If you're a voting age and you're not registered, we have available out in our portico an opportunity to register. And if you're like, wow, when it comes to some of the local stuff, this is what I experience. I'm like, I don't always know where all these folks stand on particular policies. So we have voter guides. Voter guides not telling you who to vote for, but where people stand on particular issues so that you can be an informed voter. So that's one of the ways that I want to encourage us to be salt and light in this community. Let's not be silent. All right, so grab your Bibles now and turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. And as you turn there, let me just acknowledge that this is a bit of a wild and wooly text. If you read ahead, which I appreciate some of you do, say, hey, what are we going to look at next? Because I want to read it in advance to hearing about it. If you read ahead, you go, wow, this is not typical church fair. This is more dark alley stuff. And on top of the fact that it's not only a bit raunchy, which this is just your warning, it's confusing. And it's confusing, honestly, because the central character in Genesis 19 is Abraham's nephew, whose name is Lot. And the New Testament speaks about Lot. In fact, 2 Peter says this about Lot. He, the Lord, rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, Parentheses, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Now, that central character is described three times by what one word? Righteous. That's not confusing until you read Genesis 19. So if you're open to Genesis 19, uh, compare what we just read there with what unfolds in Genesis 19. Uh, I'm going to take us through almost the entire chapter. Now the two angels came to Sodom. Now, uh, quick explanation. In Genesis 18, we're introduced to three men who came and visited Abraham. As the text unfolds, we define, we 
here that one of those men is the Lord and the other two men are angels. And while the Lord had the conversation that we looked at last week with Abraham in Genesis 18, the two angels go to Sodom and Genesis 19 tells us what unfolds with those two angels, these two men in Sodom. So they came to Sodom in the evening as Lot, Abraham's nephew, was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Now another pause. What we're going to see unfold is exactly why Lot wants these guys not to spend the night in the square, but to come to his house, hopefully shield them. And when does he want them to leave? Early in the morning. Let me feed you, sleep you, and get you out of here as fast as possible. They say no, but he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread and they ate. And it seems like it's going to go okay. But verse four, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Now this is where it gets a bit raunchy. They're not asking, hey, guest, we'd like to meet them and have conversation. Maybe grab some ears if you need, young ears. But this is a... The men of the city, young and old of Sodom, coming out wanting to have homosexual relationships with these two visitors of Lot. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him. And he said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. See, he knows they're not talking about conversation. Do not act wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have had who have not had relations with man. Please, let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. No wonder he closed the door. Only do nothing to these men in as much as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, uh, there is, in that culture, hospitality on a level that we don't understand hospitality. But no cultural commitment to hospitality justifies what Lot just suggested. He doesn't want the homosexual relationship to happen, so instead he offers his two daughters to be brutally raped. But they said, stand aside. They're not interested in his daughters. Furthermore, this one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. Now they want to molest Lot. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men, the two angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. So they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. 
The two men, the angels again, said to Lot, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whoever you have in that city, bring them out of the place. For we're about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting, to be joking. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have magnified your loving kindness which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains for the disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to and it, and it is small. Please, let me escape there. Is it not small that my life may be saved? He said to him, behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. And now it's defined. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar, so that's where Lot flees to. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife, from behind him, looked back. Direct violation of what the angel had said. And she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Uh, look up here for a moment, please. See, Abraham comes out to see. He had, he had talked with the Lord and what had the Lord promised he would do? Spare the entire city if there were even 10 righteous people in the city. And when Abraham sees the smoke rising, what's he know? Wow, Lot. There weren't even there weren't even ten of you. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains. Interesting, he goes to where he didn't initially want to go. Why? And his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. doesn't tell us why he's afraid, but my guess is that when he shows up as the lone, with his daughters, the lone survivors of Sodom and Gomorrah, they're going, you're the reason 
that curse and that punishment has fallen and they are probably going to take his life and so he flees. That's a guess, by the way. That's not what the scripture doesn't tell us. It only tells us he's afraid and so he flees from there and goes to the mountains where he initially didn't want to go and he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. And if it could not get worse, get ready. Then the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The following day, the firstborn said to the younger, behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child, how? By their father. And the chapter closes with the names of the kids. What a disaster, huh? Uh, What craziness. Uh, You come to the end and you go, what? Your neighbors of 20 years want to molest your guest. When you refuse, they want to molest you in spite of the fact that you offer your daughters to be raped. Your sons-in-law, when you talk to them about judgment coming, they think it's a joke. After all that, you still hesitate to leave. The angels literally had to grab him by his hand and nearly drag him out of the city. You don't want to go far. You want to stay as close as possible. And your wife looks back. And to top it off, your daughters do what they do to you. It's a wreck, yes? And why is it confusing? He rescued righteous lots. Does that make you not make you scratch your head? I was all fine with unpacking Genesis 19 till I read 2 Peter and I was like, oh Lord, what do I do with that? Seriously, I was like, what do I do with this? How do I answer this in really difficult question. How can someone declared righteous live such an unrighteous life? Don't you have that stirring in you right now? I hope so because, or even more personal, less theoretical, I hope what's stirring in your heart right now is how do I not end up like Lot? Right? I think there's a reason you don't meet many children named Lot. Ever notice that? Some people in the Bible get (laughs) their names get used a lot. And then other people, Cain, Lot, not so much. 
Because nobody, nobody in here, nobody watching, nobody goes, that's the way I'd like my life to turn out. But we who are declared righteous ought to ask ourselves, how can someone declared righteous end up making such a wreck of their life? But before we can answer that question, we have to answer an even more critical question. Flip it around. How can someone who lives such an unrighteous life be declared righteous? That actually is the first most important question because it, it's stretching us, it's going to test us. What do we believe about the gospel? Do we genuinely believe that our declared righteousness is not earned by our works, our morality? That our declared righteousness is something received only by grace through faith? See, Lot will stretch us with that. Do we really believe that we can only be saved by God's grace, by our faith, not by our morality? Quite frankly, the greatest lie that continues on the planet is this. When it comes down to it, when you and I die, we're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to judge our works. And if our good outweighs our bad, then we'll be saved. So make sure you do enough good. It's what we all tend to think. It's the great lie and the truth that, that Lot puts us to the test. Do we really believe that it is for by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. See, some people make it hard to believe that salvation is by grace. There's been some times in Abraham's life we've gone, wow, did he believe? Was he righteous? Was Abraham righteous? Declared righteous? Yeah, Genesis 15, 6. Then he, even before his name was changed, then he, Abram, believed in the Lord and he reckoned, God reckoned it on him as righteousness. See, righteousness is not something determined by our morality. It's determined by what? Our believing in Jesus. Believing that we could never be righteous. We could only be made righteous. And we could only be made righteous by believing. So, how do I reconcile what I read in Genesis 19 and what I read in 2 Peter? I reconcile it with this. God knows the heart. Our lesson from last week. God knows the heart. You look at Lot's life and you go, failure. But God knew his heart. 
And in spite of all his failures, he had believed. So how can a unrighteous person be declared righteous? How? Through faith, by grace, by believing. That's the only way. And we fool ourselves when we think, I'm declared righteous because I've been cleaning up my language, because I've been being a better dad or a better mom, or I haven't been drinking like I used to drink. We think our righteousness comes from our morality, and it does not. It comes from our believing. But, now let's answer the other question, the one you wrote down at the top. How can a person declared righteous end up living such an unrighteous life? Well, first, we have to understand this. Those who are made righteous, granted the righteousness of Christ through faith, they must learn to live out that righteousness. Key word here is they must learn Learn. To be made righteous is different than learning to live out that righteousness. Simple example. When my kids got old enough to drive, we decided we would buy a third vehicle for the family. It wouldn't be theirs. They'd have to pay gas. They'd have to pay insurance. But we would provide a vehicle. So I bought a little truck. So we'd have a little truck in the family. The kicker was it was a manual. It was like a five-speed, a little Toyota that had a five-speed. And so they had learned to drive my car, but now when they got a truck, just because they had a truck didn't mean they could drive the truck. How many of you had to learn to drive a stick? Remember? That's exactly the way I did. And that was in flat Florida. I learned in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and it's so, it's like so hard. A little more gas, a little less, a little slow in the cut. And you're trying to figure that out. And then after a while, you're like, oh, no problem. You can drive it like an automatic. But you couldn't at first. What'd you have to do? Is that true spiritually? The day you were made righteous, not by your morality, but by your believing in Jesus, you had now to learn. Learn this. When you were declared righteous in Jesus, the scripture says the spirit of God was placed in you. But you needed to now learn to walk by the spirit. And here's the challenge. Here's the gas in the clutch. Here's the challenge of learning to walk by the Spirit. You'll not carry out the desires of the flesh if you walk by the Spirit. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. You see, prior to you being declared righteous, you just did whatever you wanted. You did whatever you desired. But, unless you like, didn't want to pay the consequences. But you didn't have anything internally until the Spirit of God came in you. And now the Spirit of God in you was in opposition to the desires in you. And you had to learn to walk by the Spirit when all you had learned thus far was to walk by your desires. You're tracking with me? 
Do you remember that process? There's a lot more in learning to walk by the Spirit than drive a stick shift. I did a lot of stalling out early on, and I still stall. So how do you learn? Well, it begins first with this. I have to know. This is not my idea. We'll see it in the scriptures. I first have to know who I am in Christ. It's just like when I'm sitting there with my son and I'm going, all right, you got to work this. You got a gas pedal and you got a clutch. You got a third pedal here. You got to learn to work with it. You got to know. What do we have to know? How should we who died to sin still live in it? Lot, Doug, you. How should you who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know something and I didn't? And maybe you don't. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, that is, that we have believed in him, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. So I have to know what? that I've been identified with Jesus through faith in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I only knew I had been identified with him as death, that, that his death made me righteous for heaven. But I didn't know what I needed to know to begin to walk by the Spirit. It begins with knowing who I am in Christ, and then second, believing then who I am in Christ. First, I have to know, but knowing is different than believing, yes? I've used it many times, and I'm not genuinely picking on our professional football team, but we can relate to this in Jacksonville. All of us know we have a professional football team. Very few people believe in that professional football team. Right? There's a difference between knowing something and then believing in it. So it starts by knowing because we cannot believe what we do not know, but then we must believe what we do know. Now we, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. What's that have to do with us? Watch verse 11. Even so, consider yourself, count it to be true, believe it like you believe your bank statement, good or bad. It speaks the, the truth. Count your spiritual bank statement to be, I am dead to sin. Why? Because I have died to Christ. And I am alive to God. Why? Because I've been identified with him in resurrection as in death. So I know it. I believe it. And when I believe it, I take two actions. First, I believe I am dead to slavery to sin. And I believe I am alive to God. That's my spiritual bank statement. I, I know it. I believe it. And because I believe it, if I'm going to learn to walk, then I deny my fleshly desires a body to pr- express themselves. Again, not my idea. It's what Romans 6 is going to show us. I know it. Verses 3, 4, and 5. I believe it. 8, 9, 10, and 11. And then I, verse 12, I deny my body 
my, excuse me, my desires, a body to express themselves. Just think about it. It's what the scripture says. You cannot, your desires cannot be expressed unless you give it a body. Lust needs a body. Greed needs a body to express itself. But if I know who I am in Christ and I believe who I am with Christ, then I don't let sin reign in my mortal body so that you obey its lust. I do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. I don't present my eyes, my hands, my feet, my mind. I do not present my body to those desires. Why? Because the spirit now lives in me. I am dead to sin, alive to God. And fourth, but I present myself to God as those alive from the dead and my members as instruments of righteousness to God. So I present myself as his instrument. Watch. First, I have to know it. Then I have to believe it. And when I believe it, I deny my desire is a body, and instead I give that same body that I used to give it to my, satisfy my desires, I now give it to God because I'm alive to him, and it becomes his instrument. You tracking? This is so real every single day. When you go home this afternoon, your body is going to be an instrument either to satisfy your desires or an instrument of God for him to do his work through you. Whether it's simply to help someone, speak kindness, speak truth, to be patient, your body is an instrument either to your desires or to the spirit of God. And when we give our body that has been bought by Christ and we have believed in him and we have been declared righteous, but then we give that body to be used for our desires, even though we're declared righteous, we make a wreck of our lives, right? So said Lot, so demonstrated Lot. To declare, to be declared righteous makes you fit for heaven. But to learn to live out that righteousness, to learn to walk in the spirit, makes you an instrument for bringing heaven to earth. You tracking? See, your identity with Christ has made you fit for heaven and made you an instrument to bring heaven to earth. That's, that sounds so big and like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But that's as simple as a conversation, an act of kindness, an act of patience today towards your spouse, towards your kids, towards your neighbor. It's an act of welcome in the courtyard. It's an invitation to someone who feels isolated. It's a phone call to somebody who's been quarantine. It's bringing heaven to earth. That is learning to walk in the spirit. And I want us to be reminded from Genesis 19 that Lot is a living example, a reminder that sin will destroy my life and potentially my family as it did his. 
if I do not learn to walk in the Spirit. That is why you can go after a year going, Doug, you talk about walking in the Spirit all the stinking time. And I do. Because it'll make the difference of whether you bring heaven to earth or even as you are declared righteous, you continue to make a wreck of your life and potentially your family. It's just that stark. Every one of us either are a blessing or make a wreck this afternoon and this coming week. And there's an opposition. You know it. I know it. Man, my desires scream like mad to be satisfied. And there's times where I go, (laughs) and I cough out, I stall out, and I do not live according to the spirit of God in me, and I go back to giving myself to the flesh. And I need a reminder like a lot to go. You keep that up, Doug, and you'll wreck your life. And it'll impact the people around you. So, really, right now, if you're going, ugh, I am wrecking my life, you don't need to. You can learn to walk in the Spirit. You can. You can learn to walk in the Spirit, to know to believe, to deny, and to present. But there's more at work in Lot's life. I don't think it's only that he didn't learn to live out the righteousness that he had been given. I think he also failed to recognize the danger of the desire to be rich. This is at the root of what happens in Lot's life. A failure to recognize, to acknowledge the danger of the desire to be rich. Can I remind you why Lot went to Sodom? Abraham, Abram at the time, and Lot had come back from Egypt and they both had enough stuff that staying together could not accommodate them. They needed to separate. And so Abram had said to Lot, you go first. You choose where you want to go. And here's what happened. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zohar. In other words, he's going, don't think of that deserted, desolate place now. It was like the garden of God. That's what Lot saw. And so Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. So it was a morally bankrupt place when he showed up. But why did he go? He went because it represented... Wealth. It was the best land to making wealthy. And we need to hear right now, this morning, 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Man, you could have a picture of lots of lot right there beside that verse. He chose what he chose. He went where he went because it represented wealth. Now, is it wrong to be rich? Anybody bold enough to answer? Is it wrong to be rich? No, it's not wrong to be rich. God actually makes some of his people rich and some of his people like really, really rich. What's the danger? What's the danger? Those who want to get rich. Those who go, oh, that, 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 that occupation, working for that company, no brainer. You have no idea what they offered me salary-wise. Is that the final decision on always the dollar sign? If it is, you're in danger. He went to an exceedingly wicked place that ended up making him like them, not them like him, because of a desire to get rich. But there's a a second danger that seems a lot like the first, but it's actually very different. There's the desire to be rich, and then there's the love of money. See, the desire to be rich is like, no, I'm going to do what I need to do. Uh, The dollar sign always determines the decisions I make. It determines when I work and how much I work and where I work, regardless of the collateral impact. Now, are you hearing me, friends? Some are, are wanting to get rich or, or making a wreck of your family. And the Spirit of God, with all my heart, I'm confident right now, is pounding on you going right now. You're in danger. But then there's the love of money. Because you may not have wanted to get rich, but God made you rich. Now you have a new temptation. the love of that which God gave you. You see, it's possible that God can give us gifts and we end up falling in love with the gifts and serving and being devoted to gifts instead of the giver, the love of money. That 1 Timothy 6 passage that I just read goes on like this. Oh, excuse me, ah. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know what it says to do next? Verse 11, you should know this. I hope you'll never forget this. But flee from these things, you man of God. Now let me go back because I thought I had rearranged the order. While living among, this is about Lot in Second Peter, while living among them, 
felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless leads, deeds. At first I thought, oh, come on, man, it doesn't seem like he's tormented, he's staying. And then I was a little more honest with my own heart. You ever been in sin and been tormented by it, but stayed? Yeah. You see, Lot's tormented. His righteous soul, rightly so. I don't need to question his righteous soul being tormented. Actually, I can reinforce he is tormented because his righteous soul is reacting with conviction to what he needs to do, and he's not doing. What did he need to do? What did 2 Timothy 6.11 say? He should have... Yeah, he needed to flee. But instead, he, he stayed for, best estimate, 20 years. And there may be, literally some of you are listening right now, who the Spirit of God has gone, I have been tormenting your righteous soul by what's going on in your life and what's going on around you. You need to flee but you've stayed. And this is an important reminder. I think a gracious reminder to us this morning of what happens when we experience the conviction of our righteous soul, but we resist it and we stay in our sin. When we stay where we should flee, we end up making a wreck. And nobody once, really. I don't think anybody really wants to make a wreck of their life. They just don't want to flee. Because to leave, we confront my love of money or my desire to get rich or something else in my life. Another idol in my life. Flee from these things. Let me take us back to it. But flee from these things, you man of God. I don't know how the Lord is speaking to your heart right now, wherever you are, but I am confident that is the word of the Lord to some of you right now. Flee what you've been staying in. Because there's another danger that Lot did not recognize and did not flee the corrupting influence of ungodly people. He needed to flee, but he stayed. And in staying, he experienced the corrupting influence. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Have you ever seen that happen? Probably almost all of us can go, yeah, I've seen that happen. Maybe you've seen it happen in your life. Maybe you've watched it happen in a family member's life or a co-worker's life, and you've been grieved over it. You understand the corrupting influence of ungodly people can be in our lives. 
Now, we are called to be salt and light. We are called to be an influence. But there may be the fact that you cannot be an influence right now because you are so influenced that you need to do some radical amputation. You need to learn to walk in the spirit. You need to learn to be responsive to the word of God and the spirit of God so that as then you mature in Christ, then you can re-engage to be an influencer versus being influenced. I'm well aware that Jesus was involved with ungodly, immoral, bad company because he had a relationship with the Father that he could influence for good instead of being influenced for bad. But it didn't happen for a lot. His stain had a huge impact on his wife. Hey, he, maybe he didn't look back, but his wife did. Husbands, you are the pastors of your home. His daughters were marrying men who when God, when Lot spoke to them about God's coming judgment, they thought it was a joke. And his daughters were willing to engage in getting their dad drunk and impregnating them. That's an overflow of where they lived. So there may need to be in your particular journey right now a recognition that maybe it's not money and the desire for it or the love for it. Maybe it's the crowd that you run with that's making a difference. You ever ask yourself, Lord, why'd you spare the dude? I mean, what a wreck. Why'd you spare him? Do you know why? Did you catch it as we read through why the Lord spared him? Oh, sorry. This is just a reminder of what we've just talked about from Proverbs. Can a man take fire in his lap and his clothes not be burned? Yes or no? No. Uh, can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? No. It's simply the proverb talking about the danger of associating with an immoral woman. You do that, you get burned. Lots an example. So why the Lord saving? Because after all that had happened in the night, Lot still hesitates. And so the men seized his hand, the angels grabbed his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters for this reason, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. Now, are you glad about that? I wonder, are you glad that the compassion of the Lord was upon Lot or do you kind of go, man, why'd you do that? Are you glad? If you're not glad for a lot, you don't have an honest assessment of yourself. 
because I've done lots of foolish things and the hand of the Lord has spared me from the destruction I deserve. I am grateful for the compassion of the Lord because the righteous ultimately are only spared because God is compassionate. He sees us. He sees the wreck we're making. And I don't know if you can name specific times in your life, but start thinking, and I bet you'll start realizing, man, the Lord reached in, grabbed my hand, and pulled me out. When I foolishly was hesitating and wanting to stay. Hey, listen, right now, for for some of you right now, the Lord is reaching in his hand right now to you and saying, come on, let me pull you out of the wreck that you are making that you're about to make. Because he sees what's in the heart. He knows what's happening behind closed doors. He knows the secrets. And he is in his compassion inviting you Respond to me. You see, if your righteous soul is being tormented by something going on in your life, that is the Spirit of God bringing conviction the way that King David, whose righteous soul was being tormented by his own affair with Bathsheba, was the Spirit of God calling him to confess his sin and to turn from it. That's what the Spirit of God is calling you to now. (laughs) To respond to the conviction with confession. To acknowledge you're lingering where you need to flee. So let me invite you to bow with me. And there, just in the quietness of your seat, I want to invite you to respond to the unique and very personal way that the Lord by his spirit is speaking to your heart. As much as possible, don't think about those around you, your spouse, those watching with you. Just say, spirit of God, yes. Whatever he's saying to you, yes. If that is to confess, yes. That is to make a decision to run, to isolate, to to amputate, if you will, to to make a decision about a relationship or a pursuit or a job, a secret sin, would you say yes to the Spirit of God and respond to his conviction now? To determine right now, I know who I am and I believe it. In Christ, Lord, I will deny today my desires, the body I've been given, and I present it now to you. Would you present your body to the Spirit of God who lives in you, that you might be an instrument of bringing today heaven to earth? Thank you for your compassion and your grace, God. 
Thank you that you showed it to Lot. Thank you that you showed it to Abraham. And thank you that you show it to us. (laughs) It is your grace and only by your grace by which we can live. As a continuation of our prayer, I want to invite you. Would you declare this together with Matt in song? To grace our greater debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to my heart, Lord, take and steal it, seal it for thy courts above. Let me stand. Just declare that again. Just our voices. Oh, to grace how great a debt daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts of Lord Jesus, thank you for, Lord Jesus, thank you for sealing our hearts by your Holy Spirit. That having declared us righteous, you will save us. I pray that we as your children might learn to walk with you, trusting you, obeying you, and bringing your presence into our relationships. That maybe in a brand new way, this week, as we walk in the spirit, people would experience you, Lord. That we would influence instead of being influenced by the immorality around us, would we, by the power of your spirit, put you on full display and be a blessing as you are a blessing to wherever you place us, to the praise of your glory and most fully to the fullness of our joy. Thank you, Lord, for your enabling and daily grace. Would we walk in it? In Jesus' name, amen. If we can pray with you, please don't hesitate to let us pray with you. If you are watching online and you want to text us a prayer request, incredible joy to pray with you that you might walk in the spirit, that you might be declared righteous and you'd be a blessing. God bless.